Hello, and welcome to Scry. I am the Seer, your guide through the darkness as we journey into the realms of shadow. In this episode, I will be sharing with you four true tales of encounters with entities, spectral sightings, and beyond. In our first story, Adam sends us an email describing his encounter and tells us why you should exercise caution when buying your first home. My wife at the time and I were relocated for work and we purchased our first house. It was an older home, built in 1912, but was in pretty good shape. I say was, because we're the parents of two small boys who get into everything, with our oldest being fond of coloring on the walls. The day we moved in, I stepped on the porch for a smoke, and I heard a man's voice say, Howdy, neighbor. I looked around, and I didn't see anyone on the sidewalk, or on a neighboring porch. I appeared to be the only one outside and figured that someone must have said it as they were walking into their house and I had just missed them. We had lived in the house for a month or two when our oldest son, who was not quite three at the time, began to fly down the stairs in tears, screaming to high hell. He would be horrified and tell us about a man in his room. We chalked it up to an overactive imagination. Shortly after, I had a night where I just couldn't sleep. I went downstairs and stepped onto the porch for a smoke. When I was going back up the stairs to my ex-wife and I's bedroom, I heard a voice say, Leave. Was it my imagination? Sleep deprivation? A squeaky stare that sounded like something else. It could have been. A month or so later, our son was now three, and our second son had been born. It was about nine in the morning when my ex-wife bolted out of bed. I asked her what was wrong, and she said that she had seen someone in the hallway. She said it was like a black, shadowy mass that came out of our oldest boy's room. I poked my head into his room, and he was laying in bed sleeping. Nothing was out of the ordinary. Could it have been that my ex-wife was still half asleep, thinking that someone was going into our son's room? It could have been. We talked about some of the things that had been going on, and even though the few things that had happened could be explained away by being tired... It seemed odd to us that nothing like this had happened to us until after we moved in. Perhaps something else was at work here. Our three-year-old saw an old cartoon, a classic that I'm sure we all watched growing up. I'm talking, of course, about Scooby-Doo. This was his first taste of the paranormal on television. Instead of running down the stairs, screaming about a man in his room, he began running down the stairs, screaming, Ghost! 
One day, I asked him if he'd talked to the ghost, and he told me that he did. I asked him if he knew the ghost's name. He smiled and said, Horse. Uh, a ghost named Horse. It must have been our imaginations. One night while at work, I get a phone call from my ex-wife. She told me that the window at the top of the stairs had been broken. She had been in the kitchen cooking dinner. Our eldest was in the toy room off of the kitchen. Our youngest was sleeping. And our dog was in the toy room with our oldest son. She said that she heard a loud crash, went to investigate, and found the window broken. The glass was pushed towards the outside, meaning that whatever broke the window broke it from the inside. The layout of the house doesn't allow for any sort of breeze in that spot, and everyone was accounted for. We decided to do a bit of research into our home. I spent that night going Google crazy and began to turn up some interesting facts. The people who lived in our house during World War II had a son that left the home and became a fireman in the Navy. We never figured out what exactly happened to him, but we know that he went missing in action and that his body was never recovered. It was when I found out the young man's name that I thought about my son and what he had said, and a shiver ran down my spine. The young man's name was Horace. Adam, thank you for emailing us your story. You are proof that user submissions help us share the scare at Scry, and we are glad that the activity in your home came to an end. For our next tale, we explore another story that explains why you shouldn't tread in places that you don't belong. Urban exploration can have unintended consequences and lead to undesired encounters, as Varric shares in his story. I live close to an old abandoned insane asylum, and pass it on occasion and still get the creeps when I see it. About 10 years ago, I was young and stupid to ever get the idea to enter this place. To get inside, you have to enter the main administration building or one of the satellite buildings and go through an underground series of tunnels to access other portions. Curiosity got the best of me and one day I decided it was time to explore this place. I have never entered it before and never will enter it again after. I first went in through the main administration building that was boarded up, but one board was pried off. Once inside the lobby, I looked around in amazement. It looked as if one day, everyone decided to pack up and leave and never return. Documents, computers, 
films, monitors, were all still intact and sitting on the desks. From the main lobby, I was feeling more excited than scared to be exploring this place. Once I spent enough time in the lobby, I decided to proceed down a few hallways to explore. I entered a big, auditorium-like area of the building, which was huge and vacant of any items. I didn't spend much time in this room, since it really wasn't that interesting and branched off into another hallway. As I proceeded down the hallway, I entered another wing of the building, which was, I guess, a medical, dental procedure wing, since it had all the dentist equipment and surgery tables still intact, along with various other items. Patient x-rays and documents littered the entire wing. Time to cut to the chase. As I left this wing, I started to feel a little uneasy, as if I was not welcome. I proceed downstairs and entered the tunnel system. I was ready for this as I had a can of fluorescent spray paint and a flashlight with extra batteries since I knew it was going to be dark and a maze. I proceed down the maze of tunnels, marking the walls every so often so I know the way to go back. The tunnel was cramped and no more than five feet tall as I was hunched over walking through it. After about what seemed to be 30 minutes, I came to a section where I can finally stand and give my back a rest as it was screaming in pain. As I stood up, I noticed a stretcher right next to me and thought, wow, that's an odd place to have one of these. As I was thinking that, my flashlight started to get dimmer and dimmer. I was thinking, great. Now I have to change batteries in the dark. I powered down my flashlight and changed the batteries out. But before I turned it back on, I had an ominous feeling. Something or someone was watching me. I turned the light back on and I was shocked. The paint I put on the wall was mostly gone, as if it was wiped away. My first thought was that I didn't shake the can well enough and I wasn't paying attention. No matter, I could find another way out, or so I thought. I proceed down a maze of tunnels aimlessly and noticed graffiti on the wall that said something like, To death, with an arrow pointing up. I went to the end of the tunnel and up a flight of stairs. As I neared the top of the stairs, I was freaked out because I ended up in a morgue. Right in front of me was a freezer with four bays, which had the gurneys out and all the doors open. About this time, the room seemed to get instantly cold, almost to the point of shivering. My breath was visible, and it was a 70-degree day outside. About this time, it felt as if I had deep despair wash over me, along with anger and aggression. It was about this time that I decided to book it out the only way I saw, which was up more stairs. The stairs ended up on a second floor of a wing, which, 
I assume was where they kept the mentally insane. Each room was small and tiny, with only a sink, toilet, and bed frame. I have no clue why, but I walked into a room and peered out a window to look around and get my bearings. As I walked closer to the window, I caught a reflection of someone standing in the doorway I had entered. I suddenly turned around and no one was there. To this day, I remember seeing a 5 foot 5 to 5 foot 7 female with very long hair looking down at the ground. I was scared shitless and ran out of the room. As I was running, I felt as if I was being chased and hunted down. I saw an exit sign and breathed a sigh of relief. I slowed down quite a bit and walked around to the door. As I was getting to the door, I undoubtedly heard a maniacal type of laughing and looked all around and saw nothing. I proceeded to the exit door and halfway down a flight of stairs and suddenly stopped. I have no clue what possessed me to turn around and look down the hallway from which I had come, but as I was looking down the hallway, I saw a black figure of a person walk across one room and into the other. This was no shadow and looked as if it was an actual person. I can remember seeing the outline perfectly. I was frozen in place scared. I heard the laughing again and I don't remember the last portion of the stairs. I found the exit door which was locked and I began shouldering the door and kicking it trying to get out. About this time, it felt like someone grabbed my shirt and tried pulling me back. I ran full force into the door and it gave out. I ran out and never returned. As Varric's story shows, sometimes staying out of places that have seen death, disturbance, and insanity is usually for the best. And we are grateful that Varric made it out of the building, shaken, but otherwise okay. When we return, we'll travel back to childhood and revisit the fifth grade. Almost all of us have had one or two teachers who have come along and changed our lives. As Straight One Two would tell, he had one teacher who certainly left a mark on him that he would never be able to forget. When I was in the fifth grade, my mom thought it was a good idea for me to join the school band. Practice was after school every Wednesday and Friday for two hours. 
At first, I was really pissed because one, I am the least musically inclined person and felt that playing in a band was a complete waste of time. And two, I was missing out on valuable playtime with my friends after school. The music teacher turned out to be real cool though and made practice fun, so after a few sessions, I actually ended up enjoying it. Practice went on from week to week until one day, our music teacher didn't show up. The week after this, practice was cancelled indefinitely and the band was no more. Being a kid, I didn't think much of it. No practice just meant I got my playtime back and life was good again. The next Monday at school, as I'm waiting for something in another classroom, in walks my music teacher, dressed all in white. I say hi, and he smiles at me and pats me on the head. Then he sits at the teacher's desk and looks straight ahead without saying a single word. I wanted to ask about the band, but for some reason, I had to step out of the classroom and didn't see him ever again after that. A few days later, I hear my mom talking to the principal on the phone. She volunteered a lot and was friends with a lot of the school staff. I hear her say how sad it was that the music teacher had a massive heart attack and died. Here's the strange part of my story. When I asked what happened, it turns out he had a heart attack and was in a coma the week practice got cancelled and had died the Saturday before I had seen him in class. Teachers aren't the only ones that we bond with in life, obviously, and the bond between siblings can become very strong, reaching across whatever void may separate them in times of desperate need, as evidenced by our last story. So it's 1998. My sister and I are two years apart. I'm in my junior year of high school. She's in her first year of college. Her break is about to start, so she was going to finish her tests and head back home. I was out dicking around with my friends. Just the usual, no plan type of day with my buddies. I don't remember what we did earlier, so here starts the story. We're in my friend's car driving back to his house to hang out. I'm in the front passenger seat riding shotgun with two other buddies in the back. As we get to my friend's house, he pulls toward his garage. As we're about 50 yards away, my vision starts to narrow. Tunnel vision would be a very apt way to describe it. I could actually see my peripheral vision disappear and be replaced with the color black. As this intensifies, my other senses tune out, specifically hearing. I was in the middle of a conversation with all of them. I don't know how long it lasted, but when I came out of it, 
all my friends were concerned. They were asking if I was okay and had very worried looks on their faces. Feeling completely normal, I let them know that I was fine. Completely fine. They were relieved and started telling me how I just stopped talking mid-sentence and looked like a zombie. They said I looked fine and didn't pass out, but that I was completely out of it. I don't know how long I was in this state. My cell phone rings once. I immediately tell my friend I need to go home now, even before I pick up the phone. He doesn't get it at all, you can tell, but he asks zero questions. My face, tone, or combination must have done all the talking. I don't waste another second and pick up on the second or third ring. It's my mom. She's telling me that my sister had just been in an accident. I replied instantly, I know. I didn't know though. That's just what came out of my mouth. I kind of wondered why I said it. I didn't have a vision, I didn't have a strange feeling, nothing. I actually forgot about the weird tunnel vision thing instantly because I'd already brushed it aside and was worried about my sister. I get home and bolt out of the car to find my parents locking the front door on their way out. Eerily good timing. I didn't realize until later. Naturally, I asked what hospital she was transported to. They didn't know. My mom said she called us immediately after, before she even called 911. Then it sounded like a policeman came up and she said she'd call us back. So we all hop in my dad's car and we start driving. My mom asks, where do you think she is? And I tell her, go right here, take a left the next light. Zero discussion. My order was just taken as pure scientific fact. Again, must have been my voice, conviction, face. I don't know. I give a few more directions and I'm out of instinct. I was about to render my first guess when my sister calls back. My mom immediately asks where she is. While I wait, my mom covers the phone and tells me, Honey, she doesn't know. She's pretty shaken up. The only thing she can tell me is she sees a blue sign. I responded instantly. I know where she is. Keep talking to her. I'll guide dad there. I gave my dad directions to the crash site, about 20 miles from our house, perfectly, including which lane to be in and where she will be. We beat the ambulance there. We arrive and the car is completely crushed, front and rear, destroyed, like car commercial destroyed. The front ends pushed up above the windshield line, the rears buckled into the back seats, and I briefly thought, how the hell did she make a phone call? But once again, my worry for my sister took over, and I went over to her. We talked briefly but she was obviously taken to the hospital in short order, and we met her there. 
she's awake and conscious, a few bruises, but completely fine. The cop keeps asking her what happened and she just keeps crying and saying, I'm really sorry, I don't remember anything. We talked to the cop and she said that she had failed to replace her tires and had hydroplaned while entering an off-ramp at 60 or so during light rain. She went headfirst into the jersey wall, then bounced between them before the car came to rest. She did not hit a single car, nor did another car hit her. Keep in mind, this is the Beltway in Northern Virginia. This is heavily traveled at all times. So while we're waiting on tests and scans and all that stuff, I'm being a goofy brother, blowing up latex gloves over my head and generally goofing around to keep her spirits up. The doctors come back in and say she's completely fine. Out of principle, due to the severity, he wants to keep her overnight. He says the airbag didn't go off, and if it did, it would have been really bad due to the deformation of the car. So, fast forward about an hour. My mom is making preparations to stay overnight and my dad to drive me back home since she can only have one person stay with her. So, they're working at the plan. My sister calls to me casually, and I come over. She says, I don't want to creep you out, but can I tell you something? And I tell her, for sure. She tells me, I was telling the cops the truth. I don't remember what happened. And I replied, Okay, I mean, I believe you. She says, Look, I don't want to tell anyone else this. They'll think I'm crazy. And I don't want to stay here any longer than I have to. But the last thing I remember, right before the impact, was a presence in the car. Seriously? She then says, it felt like you. She went on to say she didn't see anything, but she felt me in the car with her. It gets better. She always puts her purse with her cell phone in the passenger rear footwell. Think about a female reaching back and across behind the front passenger seat. She told me when she came to, her cell phone was in her lap. She hadn't made any calls. The force of the accident makes that impossible. She told me that even though I had my cell phone in my lap, for whatever reason, I just wanted to get out of the car. I don't know why, but I just wanted to get out of the car. Then I heard a voice. Not a real voice, but like a voice in my head, but not like my thought. It felt like you. You told me to stay in the car. If she had gotten out on a blind curve of the exit ramp, she most certainly would have been hit by a car. It took me a month to tell her my side of the story. I was so freaked out. My sister loved that car. And even though it was going to be totaled, 
She thought about building it back under a salvage title and even had an estimate done. The airbag relay, it was perfectly functional. She decided not to rebuild the car after hearing that. And now it is time to once again close the gate and end this oral odyssey into the unknown. We would like to thank the authors of these tales for sharing them and remind you that all stories on Scry are purported to be true. If you have a tale that you would like to share, send it to us at scrypod.com or shoot us an email at scrypodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a message at 573-203-8668. I would also like to take this time to thank the wonderfully talented Iran Horrors for our logo design. Check out his work on DeviantArt. It's great stuff. Our podcast recommendation to hold you over until our next episode is Whisper in the Night. Be sure to check them out for some scary stories, some spooky encounters, and all sorts of things that send shivers down your spine. But now it's time to end this session, this seance of sound. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry.